0: Chapter Nine of the Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Morant. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Chapter Nine. He, like the tenant of some night haunted ruin, bore an aspect of horror, worn to habitude. Mysterious Mother. The adventurous Vivaldi and his servant Paolo, after passing the night of Olena's departure from Villa Altieri in one of the subterraneous chambers of the fort of Pelluzzi, and yielding at length to exhausted nature, awoke in terror and utter darkness, for the flambeau had expired. When a recollection of the occurrences of the preceding evening returned, they renewed their efforts for liberty with ardour. The grated window was again examined, and being found to overlook only a confined court of the fortress— no hope appeared of escaping the words of the monk returned with vivaldi's first recollections to torture him with apprehension that elena was no more and paolo unable either to console or to appease his master sat down dejectedly beside him paolo had no longer a hope to suggest or a joke to throw away and he could not forbear seriously remarking that to die of hunger was one of the most horrible means of death or lamenting the rashness which had made them liable to so sad a probability. He was in the midst of a very pathetic oration, of which, however, his master did not hear a single word. So wholly was his attention engaged by his own melancholy thoughts, when on a sudden he became silent, and then, starting to his feet, exclaimed, Signor, what is yonder? Do you see nothing? Vivaldi looked round. It is certainly a ray of light, continued Paolo, and I will soon know where it comes from. As he said this, he sprung forward, and his surprise almost equaled his joy, when he discovered that the light issued through the door of the vault, which stood a little open. He could scarcely believe his senses, since the door had been strongly fastened on the preceding night, and he had not heard its ponderous bolts undrawn. He threw it widely open, but recollecting himself, stopped to look into the adjoining vault before he ventured forth, when Vivaldi darted past him, and bidding him follow instantly, ascended to the day the courts of the fortress were silent and vacant and vivaldi reached the archway without having observed a single person breathless with speed and scarcely daring to believe that he had regained his liberty beneath the arch he stopped to recover breath and to consider whether he should take the road to naples or to the villa altieri for it was yet early morning and an hour when it appeared improbable that elena's family would be risen the apprehension of her death had vanished as vivaldi's spirits revived which the pause of hesitation sufficiently announced. But even this was the pause only of an instant. A strong anxiety concerning her determined him to proceed to the Villa Altieri, notwithstanding the unsuitableness of the hour, since he could, at least, reconnoitre her her residence, and await till some sign of the family having risen should appear. "'Pray, signor,' said Paolo, while his master was deliberating, "'do not let us stop here, lest the enemy should appear again.' And do, signor, take the road which is nearest to some house where we may get breakfast, for the fear of starving has taken such hold upon me that it has nearly anticipated the reality of it already. Vivaldi immediately departed for the villa. Paolo, as he danced joyfully along, expressed all the astonishment that filled his mind as to the cause of their late imprisonment and escape. But Vivaldi, who had now leisure to consider the subject, could not assist him in explaining it. The only certainty that appeared was that he had not been confined by robbers, and what interest any person could have in imprisoning him for the night, and suffering him to escape in the morning, did not appear. On entering the garden at Altieri he was surprised to observe that several of the lower lattices were open at this early hour, but surprise changed to terror, when on reaching the portico he heard a moaning of distress from the hall, and when, after loudly calling, he was answered by the piteous cries of Beatrice the hall-door was fastened and beatrice being unable to open it vivaldi followed by paolo sprang through one of the unclosed lattices when on reaching the hall he found the housekeeper bound to a pillar and learned that elena had been carried off during the night by armed men for a moment he was almost stupefied by the shock of this intelligence and then asked beatrice a thousand questions concerning the affair without allowing her time to answer one of them when however he had patience to listen He learned that the ruffians were four in number, that they were masked, that two of them had carried Elena through the garden, while the others, after binding Beatrice to a pillar, threatening her with death if she made any noise, and watching over her till the comrades had secured their prize, left her a prisoner. This was all the information she could give respecting Elena. Vivaldi, when he could think coolly, believed he had discovered the instigators and the design of the whole affair, and the cause also of his late confinement. It appeared that Elena had been carried off by order of his family, to prevent the intended marriage, and that he had been decoyed into the fort of Paluzzi and kept a prisoner there, to prevent him from intercepting the scheme, which his presence at the Villa Altieri would effectually have done. He had himself spoken of his former adventure at Paluzzi, and it now appeared that his family had taken advantage of the curiosity he had expressed to lead him into the vaults. The event of this design was the more certain, since as the fort lay in the direct road to the Villa Altieri, Vivaldi could not go thither without being observed by the creatures of the Marchesa, who, by an artful manoeuvre, might make him their prisoner, without employing violence. As he considered these circumstances, it, it appeared certain also that Father Scidoni was in truth the monk who had so long haunted his steps, that he was the secret adviser of his mother, and one of the authors of the predicted misfortunes, which, it seemed, he possessed a too certain means of fulfilling. Yet Vivaldi, while he admitted the probability of all this, reflected with new astonishment on the conduct of Scidoni during his interview with him in the Marchesa's cabinet, the air of dignified innocence with which he had repressed accusation, the apparent simplicity with which he had pointed out circumstances respecting the stranger, that seemed to make against himself, and vivaldi's opinion of the confessor's duplicity began to waver yet what other person said he could be so intimately acquainted with my concerns or have an interest sufficiently strong for thus indefatigably thwarting me except this confessor who is no doubt well rewarded for his perseverance the monk can be no other than scidoni yet it is strange that he should have forborne to disguise his person and should appear in his mysterious office in the very habit he usually wears Whatever might be the truth as to Scadoni, it was evident that Elena had been carried away by order of Vivaldi's family, and he immediately returned towards Naples with an intention of demanding her at their hands, not with any hope of their compliance, but believing that they might accidentally afford him some lights on the subject. If, however, he should fail to obtain any hint that might assist him in tracing the route she had been carried, he determined to visit Scadoni, accuse him of perfidy, urge him to a full explanation of his conduct, and, if possible, obtain from him a knowledge of Elena's place of confinement. When at length he obtained an interview with the Marchess, and throwing himself at his feet, supplicated that Elena might be restored to her home, the unaffected surprise of his father overwhelmed him with astonishment and despair. The look and manner of the Marchess could not be doubted. Vivaldi was convinced that he was absolutely ignorant of any step which had been taken against Elena. "'However ungraciously you have conducted yourself,' said the Marchess, "'my honour has never yet been sullied by duplicity. "'However I may have wished to break the unworthy connection you have formed, "'I should disdain to employ artifice as the means. "'If you really design to marry this person, "'I shall make no other effort to prevent such a measure "'than by telling you the consequence you are to expect,' From thenceforth I will disown you for my son. The Marchess quitted the apartment when he had said this, and Vivaldi made no attempt to detain him. His words expressed little more than they had formerly done, yet Vivaldi was shocked by the absolute menace now delivered. The stronger passion of his heart, however, soon overcame their effect, and this moment, when he began to fear that he had irrevocably lost the object of his dearest affections, was not the time in which he could long feel remoter evils or calculate the force of misfortunes which never might arrive the nearer interest pressed solely upon his mind and he was conscious only to the loss of elena the interview which followed with his mother was of a different character from that which had occurred with the Marchess. the keen dart of suspicion however sharpened as it was by love and by despair pierced beyond the veil of her duplicity and vivaldi as quickly detected her hypocrisy as he had yielded his conviction to the sincerity of the Marchess but his power rested here. He possessed no means of awakening her pity or actuating her justice, and could not obtain even a hint that might guide him in his search of Elena. Scidoni, however, yet remained to be tried. Vivaldi had no longer a doubt as to his having caballed with the Marchesa, and that he had been an agent in removing Elena. Whether he was the person who haunted the ruins of Paluzzi still remained to be proved, for, though several circumstances seemed to declare that he was, Others, not less plausible, asserted the contrary. On leaving the Marchesa's apartment, Vivaldi repaired to the convent of the Spirito Santo, and inquired for Father Scadoni. The lay brother who opened the gate informed him that the father was in his cell, and Vivaldi stepped impatiently into the court requesting to be shewn thither. "'I dare not leave the gate, signor,' said the brother, "'but if you cross the court and ascend that staircase which you see yonder beyond the doorway on your right, "'it will lead you to a gallery.' AND THE THIRD DOOR YOU WILL COME TO ITS FATHER SCIDONIS. Vivaldi passed on without seeing another human being. AND NOT A SOUND DISTURBED THE SILENCE OF THIS SANCTUARY. AS HE ASCENDED THE STAIRS, A FEEBLE NOTE OF LAMENTATION PROCEEDED FROM THE GALLERY, AND HE CONCLUDED IT WAS UTTERED BY SOME PENITENT AT CONFESSION. HE STOPPED, AS HE HAD BEEN DIRECTED, AT THE THIRD DOOR, WHEN, AS HE GENTLY KNOCKED, THE SOUND CEASED and the same profound silence returned. Vivaldi repeated his summons, but receiving no answer, he ventured to open the door. In the dusky cell, within no person appeared, but he still looked round, expecting to discover someone in the dubious gloom. The chamber contained little more than a mattress, a chair, a table, and a crucifix. Some books of devotion were upon the table, one or two which were written in unknown characters. Several instruments of torture lay beside them, Vivaldi shuddered as he hastily examined these, though he did not comprehend the manner of their application, and he left the chamber, without noticing any other object, and returned to the court. The porter said that since Father Scidoni was not in his cell, he was probably either in the church or in the gardens, for that he had not passed the gates during the morning. "'Did he pass yester-evening?' said Vivaldi eagerly. "'Yes,' he returned to Vespers,' replied the brother with surprise." are you certain as to that my friend rejoined vivaldi are you certain that he slept in the convent last night who is it that asks the question said the lay brother with displeasure and what right has he to make it you are ignorant of the rules of our house signor or you would perceive such questions to be unnecessary any member of our community is liable to be severely punished if he sleep a night without these walls and father scidoni would be the last among us so to trespass "'He is one of the most pious of the brotherhood. "'Few, indeed, have courage to imitate his severe example. "'His voluntary sufferings are sufficient for a saint. "'He passed the night abroad? "'Go, Signor, yonder is the church. "'You will find him there, perhaps.' "'Vivaldi did not linger to reply. "'The hypocrite said he to himself, "'as he crossed to the church, "'which formed one side of the quadrangle. "'But I will unmask him. "'The church which he entered was vacant and silent like the court.' "Whither can the inhabitants of this place have withdrawn themselves?" said he. "Wherever I go, I hear only the echoes of my own footsteps. It seems as if death reigned here over all; but perhaps it is one of the hours of general meditation, and the monks have only retired to their cells." As he paced the long aisles, he suddenly stopped to catch the startling sound that murmured through the lofty roof, but it seemed to be only the closing of a distant door yet he often looked forward into the sacred gloom which the painted windows threw over the remote perspective, in the expectation of perceiving a monk. He was not long disappointed. A person appeared, standing silently in an obscure part of the cloister, clothed in the habit of this society, and he advanced towards him. The monk did not avoid Vivaldi, or even turn to observe who was approaching, but remained in the same attitude, fixed like a statue, This tall and gaunt figure had, at a distance, reminded him of Scudoni, and Vivaldi, as he now looked under the cowl, discovered the ghastly countenance of the confessor. "'Have I found you at last?' said Vivaldi. "'I would speak with you, father, in private. This is not a proper place for such discourse as we must hold.' Scudoni made no reply, and Vivaldi, once again looking at him, observed that his features were fixed, and his eyes bent towards the ground. The words of Vivaldi seemed not to have reached his understanding, nor even to have made any impression on his senses. He repeated them in a louder tone, but still not a single line of Scudoni's countenance acknowledged their influence. "'What means this mummery?' said he, his patience exhausted, and his indignation aroused. "'This wretched subterfuge shall not protect you. You are detected, your stratagems are known. Restore Elena di Rosalba to her home, or confess where you have concealed her.' Scudoni was still silent and unmoved. A respect for his age and profession withheld Vivaldi from seizing and compelling him to answer, but the agony of impatience and indignation which he suffered formed a striking contrast to the death-like apathy of the monk. "'I now also know you,' continued Vivaldi, "'for my tormentor at Pelluzzi, the prophet of evils, which you too well practice the means of fulfilling, the predictor of the death of Signora Bianchi.' Scudoni frowned. "'The forewarner of Elena's departure,' the phantom who decoyed me into the dungeons of Pelluzzi, the prophet and the artificer of all my misfortunes. The monk raised his eyes from the ground, and fixed them with terrible expression upon Vivaldi, but was still silent. "'Yes, father,' added Vivaldi, "'I know and will proclaim you to the world. I will strip you of the holy hypocrisy in which you shroud yourself. Announce to all your society the despicable artifices you have employed, and the misery you have occasioned. Your character shall be announced aloud.' While Vivaldi spoke, the monk had withdrawn his eyes, and fixed them again on the ground. His countenance had resumed its usual expression. "'Wretch! Restore me to Elena di Risalva!' cried Vivaldi, with this sudden anguish of renewed despair. "'Tell me at least where she may be found, or you shall be compelled to do so. Whither, whither have you conveyed her?' As he pronounced this in loud and passionate accents, several ecclesiastics entered the cloisters, and were passing on to the body of the church, when his voice arrested their attention. They paused, and, perceiving the singular attitude of Scidoni, and the frantic gesticulations of Vivaldi, hastily advanced towards them. "'Forbear,' said one of the strangers, as he seized the cloak of Vivaldi, "'do you not observe?' "'I observe a hypocrite,' replied Vivaldi, stepping back and disengaging himself. "'I observe a destroyer of the peace. It was his duty to protect, I—' FORBEAR THIS DESPERATE CONDUCT, SAID THE PRIEST, LEST IT PROVOKE THE JUST VENGEANCE OF HEAVEN. DO YOU NOT OBSERVE THE HOLY OFFICE IN WHICH HE IS ENGAGED? POINTING TO THE MONK. LEAVE THE CHURCH WHILE YOU ARE PERMITTED TO DO SO IN SAFETY. YOU SUSPECT NOT THE PUNISHMENT YOU MAY PROVOKE. I WILL NOT QUIT THE SPOT TILL YOU ANSWER MY ENQUIRY, SAID VIVALDI TO SCIDONI, WITHOUT DEIGNING EVEN TO LOOK UPON THE PRIEST. WHERE, I REPEAT, IS ELENA DI ROSALBA? THE CONFESSOR WAS STILL SILENT AND UNMOVED this is beyond all patience and all belief continued vivaldi speak answer me or dread what i may unfold yet silent do you know the convent del pianto do you know the confessional of the black penitents vivaldi thought he perceived the countenance of the monk suffer some change do you remember that terrible night he added when on the steps of that confessional a tale was told scadoni raised his eyes and fixing them once more on vivaldi with a look that seemed intended to strike him to the dust Avant! cried he in a tremendous voice; Avant, sacrilegious boy! tremble for the consequence of thy desperate impiety! As he concluded, he started from his position, and gliding with the silent swiftness of a shadow along the cloister, vanished in an instant. Vivaldi, when attempting to pursue him, was seized by the surrounding monks. Insensible to his sufferings, and exasperated by his assertions, they threatened, that if he did not immediately leave the convent, he should be confined, and undergo the severe punishments to which he had become liable, for having disturbed and even insulted one of their holy order while performing an act of penance. He has need of such acts, said Vivaldi, but when can they restore the happiness his treachery has destroyed? Your order is disgraced by such a member, reverend fathers. Your peace, cried a monk, he is the pride of our house. He is severe in his devotion, and in self-punishment terrible beyond the reach of— "'But I am throwing away my commendations. "'I am talking to one who is not permitted to value "'or to understand the sacred mysteries of our exercises. "'Away with him to the Padre Abate!' cried an enraged priest. "'Away with him to the dungeon!' "'Away, away!' repeated his companions, "'and they endeavoured to force Vivaldi through the cloisters. "'But with the sudden strength which pride and indignation lent him, "'he burst from their united hold, "'and quitting the church by another door, "'escaped into the street.' vivaldi returned home in a state of mind that would have engaged the pity of any heart which prejudice or self-interest had not hardened he avoided his father but sought the marchesa who triumphant in the success of her plan was still insensible to the sufferings of her son when the marchesa had been informed of his approaching marriage she had as usual consulted with her confessor on the means of preventing it who had advised the scheme she adopted a scheme which was the more easily carried into effect since the marchesa had early in life been acquainted with the abbess of san stefano and knew therefore enough of her character and disposition to confide without hesitation the management of this important affair to her discretion the answer of the abbess to her proposal was not merely acquiescent but zealous and it appeared that she too faithfully justified the confidence reposed in her after this plan had been so successfully prosecuted it was not to be hoped that the marchesa would be prevailed upon to relinquish it by the tears the anguish or all the varied sufferings of her son vivaldi now reproved the easiness of his own confidence in having hoped it and quitted her cabinet with a despondency that almost reached despair the faithful paolo obeyed the hasty summons of his master but he had not succeeded in obtaining intelligence of elena and vivaldi having dismissed him again on the same enquiry retired to his apartment where the excess of grief and a feeble hope of devising some successful mode of remedy alternately agitated and detained him in the evening restless and anxious for change though scarcely knowing whither to bend his course he left the palace and strolled down to the sea-beach a few fishermen at lazaroni only were loitering along the strand waiting for boats from st lucia vivaldi with folded arms and his hat drawn over his face to shade his sorrow from observation paced the edge of the waves listening to their murmur as they broke gently at his feet and gazing upon their undulating beauty while all consciousness was lost in melancholy reverie concerning elena her late residence appeared at a distance rising over the shore he remembered how often from thence they had together viewed this lovely scene its features had now lost their charm they were colourless and uninteresting or impressed only mournful ideas the sea fluctuating beneath the setting sun the long mole and its lighthouse tipped with the last rays fishermen reposing in the shade little boats skimming over the smooth waters which their oars scarcely dimpled these were images that brought to his recollection the affecting evening when he had last seen this picture from the villa altieri when seated in the orangery with elena and bianchi on the night preceding the death of the latter elena herself had so solemnly been given to his care and had so affectingly consented to the dying request of her relative the recollection of that scene came to vivaldi with all the force of contrast and renewed all the anguish of despair he paced the beach with quicker steps and long groans burst from his heart he accused himself of indifference and inactivity for having been thus long unable to discover a single circumstance which might direct his search and though he knew not whither to go, he determined to leave Naples immediately, and return no more to his father's mansion till he should have rescued Elena. Of some fishermen who were conversing together upon the beach, he inquired whether they could accommodate him with a boat, in which he meant to coast the bay, for it appeared probable that Elena had been conveyed from Altieri by water to some town or convent on the shore, the privacy and facility of such a mode of conveyance being suitable to the designs of her enemies. I have but one boat, senor, said a fisherman, and that is busy enough in going to and fro from here in Santa Lucia, but my comrade here perhaps can serve you. What, Carlo, can you help the senor to your little skiff? The other, I know, has enough to do in the trade. His comrade, however, was too much engaged with a party of three or four men, who were listening in deep attention round him, to reply. Vivaldi, advancing to urge the question, was struck by the eagerness with which he delivered his narrative as well as the uncouthness of his gesticulation, and he paused a moment in attention. One of the auditors seemed to doubt of something that had been asserted. "'I tell you,' replied the narrator, "'I used to carry fish there two and three times a week, and very good sort of people they were. They have laid out many a ducat with me in their time, but as I was saying when I got there and knocked upon the door, I heard all of a sudden a huge groaning.' and presently I heard the voice of the old housekeeper herself, roaring out for help. But I could give her none, for the door was fastened. And while I ran away for assistance to old Bartoli, you know old Bartoli, he lives by the roadside as you go to Naples, well, while I ran to him, comes a signor, and jumps through the window, and sets her at liberty at once. So then I heard the whole story. What story? said Vivaldi, and of whom do you speak? All in good time, maestro, you shall hear, said the fisherman who, looking at him for a moment, added, Why, senor, it should be you I saw there. You should be the very Signor that let Beatrice loose. Vivaldi, who had scarcely doubted before that it was Altieri of which the man had spoken, now asked a thousand questions respecting the route the ruffians had taken Elena, but obtained no relief to his anxiety. I should not wonder, said a Lazaro, who had been listening to the relation, I should not wonder if the carriage that passed Braselli early on the same morning with the blinds drawn up though it was so hot that people could scarcely breathe in the open air should prove to be it which carried off the lady this hint was sufficient to reanimate vivaldi who collected all the information that lazaro could give which was however little more than that a carriage such as he described had been seen by him driving furiously through brazelli early on the morning mentioned as that of signora di risalba's departure vivaldi had now no doubt as to its being the one which conveyed her away and he determined to set out immediately for that place, where he hoped to obtain from the postmaster further intelligence concerning the road she had pursued. With this intention he returned once more to his father's mansion, not to acquaint him with his purpose, or to bid him farewell, but to await the return of his servant Paolo, who he meant should accompany him in the search. Vivaldi's spirits were now animated with hope, slender as were the circumstances that supported it, and believing his design to be wholly unsuspected by those who would be disposed to interrupt it, he did not guard either against the measures which might impede his departure from Naples or those which might overtake him on his journey. End of chapter nine Recording by Elizabeth Morant Lizmorant at gmail dot com